<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly Minnesota where we dig into things that we've been watching, reading, and playing recently. Uh, I'm Terry. <laughs> and I'm Mary Beth. This week we're talking Little Cuts Book Club, an almost indescribable video game, Thai found footage, and one wild and experimental erotic thriller featuring Mark Ruffalo's sexy mustache and his penis. <laughs> and his penis. <laughs> and his penis. <laughs> and his penis. Uh... And his penis. <laughs> but let's talk about books. Yes. Because I know we both read a book to talk about, which I'm very excited about, because I know I haven't talked about books in a bit. And yeah, so it's been a minute. I want to know. I know. So what did you read? Okay, so... um. Aaron Dries, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. Apology, Aaron, if it's not. Um, like, on a lark, just posted that he has a new book um, that came out, and I immediately ordered it because the cover is gnarly as fuck. Oh, so and it came, and I sat down and I read it in one sitting. Uh, granted, it's it's a novella. It's um, I think it's about 140 pages long, uh, but it was very good. Uh, it hit me in ways I did not expect. The book is called Dirty Heads and mm-hmm. it is set in 1999. Well, partially in 1999, right before uh, Y2K terror um, was going to be unleashed. And then it goes back to the summer of 1994 when he was, um, I believe he was 13 years old and he, the, the, the protagonist was starting to realize that he might uh, be gay. And mm-hmm. so he's, it's dealing with that. It's dealing with monsters. It's dealing with the, with kind of, it hit me hard as like a, a secreted, like closeted gay kid growing up in the nineties because mm. like, there's one point where he doesn't realize that he's gay and he gives a mixtape to this girl that he thinks he likes. And the girl like listens to it and then hands it back to him the same day and says, uh, you might be gay. 
Uh, there's a lot Ooh, that's of rough. Oh, that's rough. There's a lot of moments like that in this in this very slender book that just it made me very like it made me very sad. It made me very seen and it made me very like uh, it was scary, like the creature in this. So the Ooh. idea is that he might have conjured up this creature in 1994 and it's been chasing him since then. And when we when we introduced to him um, as like a, in, in 1999, when he was like, I guess he's 18 at the time, 18 or 19. And okay. he's. He's homeless. He's living on the run. He's eating out of trash cans. He's trying to stay one step ahead of this monster that's been chasing uh-huh. him for five years. And Ooh. he decides to go back to town, to his hometown. And then it kind of goes back to that summer when, like, shit hit the fan. And it's it's a really surprisingly powerful book for as slender it is, as it is. And it has cosmic horror. It has uh, heartbreak. It's just – it's a – it's a beautiful novel that I absolutely think everyone should go out and read, particularly if you were a queer kid growing up in the nineties. So cool. I'm super stoked to read it. That's it. I got it on my Kindle and I'm very excited to read it. The cover art like immediately oh. grabbed me, but then it said co- queer cosmic horror. And I was like, all right, we got, you got me. <laughs> yeah. And this was the, you got me. I've been wanting to read his work for a while now. Um, Cause he, mm-hmm. he's the, uh, he wrote the house of size, the fallen boys in a place for sinners. And I know um, mm-hmm. they're all queer horror. And so I've been wanting to dig into his, his books. And after reading this one, his, his writing is so tight. It's so descriptive. Like the very first paragraph just immediately, immediately grabbed me um, where it's, he says, when you're on the run, when you're marked, you've burned energy you've never had. So eat everything you can find. Rip that plastic bag open, shovel out the cabbage leaves, flicking off maggots, remembering to sift for broken glass. Like it just like immediately just grabs and just it just moves. It books with like wow. some kind of almost manic energy that's just like you want oh. to read it in one setting. And it just oh, it was so good. It was so good. Mary cool. Beth. I'm so fucking stoked to read it. I might actually start reading that tonight. What was the book you read? So I read Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke by Eric LaRocca. Mm. This is a, a novella. It's um, 112 pages. Okay. But the way that it's written, it's like an epistolary novel. Oh. But it's, 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 but it's like it's um, email and instant message exchanges okay. between two women. So it's like a found footage book because it even opens up with like, you know, in Paranormal Activity where it opens up with like, thanks to the police department, the it opens up with something like that. Like, uh, we'd like to thank the people for letting us access oh, wow. these records. So it's super cool. But the description on the back, I'll just read the back, but sadomasochism, obsession, death. A whirlpool of darkness churns at the heart of a macabre ballet between two lonely young women in an internet chat room in the early 2000s, a darkness that threatens to forever transform them once they finally succumb to their most horrific desires. What have you done to deserve your eyes mm. today? Which is the best line. Like, it's an incredible, it's an incredible line. So the cover art is another incredible piece of cover art that really grabbed me when I saw this on Twitter. And this is horrific and it's body horror in a way that I wasn't expecting. I read this in one sitting. Um, I fucking tore through it. It's incredibly written. I love the way that he kind of like intersperses these really short text conversations with these beautiful emails they write back and forth to each other. And this is a relationship that unfolds over like a series of weeks 
mm. and it gets really intense and it really speaks to like the intensity of the relationships you form online especially mm. when you're a queer person and you're a lonely queer person mm -hmm. and you're just trying to find some source of connection and when someone reaches out to you and shows you love mm. how quickly you latch onto that love and it is heartbreaking in a way that I was not expecting. Yeah. It's a it's a rough read yeah. um, in a few ways because it's pretty gross, but it's beautifully written. I love it when body horror is written like this. Like, it's so gross, but it's so like amazing to see how people are able to translate that kind of horror into words. It's incredible. I 100% recommend it uh, if you have a relatively strong stomach for when it comes to body horror stuff because the ending is pretty ridiculous. Um, I, I, I closed the book after it was done and I looked at Steve and I said, what the fuck did I just read? <laughs> I haven't stopped thinking about it since I finished it yesterday, so I very much recommend this one. Things have gotten worse since we last spoke. Again, it's slim, it's short, you'll you can you you can probably finish it in one sitting if you want, so very much recommend. And I have a couple books like this. Like I have a couple novellas that I'm super stoked to read because they're shorter, but I've heard really good things. Um, so I'm getting back into reading again, trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think I might have seen that on on Amazon, like a, a recommendation. It might have maybe it was even recommended when I was looking at, at Dirty Heads, the book I was reading. But I've, I've seen it pop up a Probably. couple times. Yeah. And I've been yeah, meaning to read it. This one again is queer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yes, I very much enjoyed this. But OK, those are, that's that's our little book club for today. <laughs> but so what is this indescribable video? Oh, boy. Jesus Christ. Indescribable video <laughs> game. There we go. Oh, man. I, I'm not, I have not finished the game yet. Uh, I am, okay. I think I'm at the very end. In fact, I was scrambling to hope, I was trying to finish it before we recorded tonight. And I, I'm like, I think I'm literally in like the, the very tail end of it. So I, I don't know if it'll stick the landing. I think it will. But this game mm -hmm. is, it's incredible. It's called Inscription. Uh, and it's, spelled like crypt in the middle not not the way that inscription is typically okay. spelled if i had to label it in like a few words i would say oh boy what would i say um i would say that it is cosmic horror roguelike oh. magic the gathering what? found footage what when you start excuse me yes so when you start what the, the game fuck? when you start the game you're you're given this uh title screen that looks like it could have been a dos game back in like the 90s and you click it okay. and it gives you the what looks like a standard uh, menu screen where there's like new game continue options and then exit the problem okay. is, is that you can't click the new game you have to click continue so you're picking up <gasps> oh. after whoever played this game before you presumably played it and so you're starting oh, presumably in media res with this story and when you start playing oh. it's a dark room there's a table in front of you and there's two glowing eyes on the opposite side of the table and you can't make out what the form is and you have to play a card game with this person or thing don't know what it is except that like the, the card game is very dark so kind of like magic you have to like uh play things to like summon creatures but here the instead of being mana like in magic it's squirrels that you have to sacrifice and you Whoa. use their blood to summon cards and when you attack the other player, if you do damage to them, there's like a scale on the left side of the screen and teeth fall into either side. What the fuck? And you're trying to make the, the scale outweigh yourself so that it touches the ground for the other for the, the person you're fighting against. And then 
it ends. And then there's like a map that you have to walk through. So there's like a, a divergent paths as you're building your game through this. And then you realize that you don't have to be sitting at this table that you can get up. And you can walk around this room and there are objects to interact with and puzzles to solve. And you get things that might help you out in the game. For instance, you get a knife and the knife just if you click on it, the knife says that it will damage the other player. And you're like, OK, cool. So you use the knife. And what do you do? You pluck out your eyeball with the knife and you toss it on the scale. Yes. <laughs> Terry, what the fuck? I, I, I just looked up some stills from it. And what the fuck? And this is only the first act. There's three acts in it, and each oh act God, <laughs> is completely different than the act before. Like, there's still the same mechanic oh, of playing shit. a card game, but there are... And I don't want to spoil anything, because part of the joy of this game is is experiment, experience it on your own. But I will say that there is also video clips of a FMV, like a full motion video, of someone that you're watching through their old data. And so there's a found footage element, and I, I don't want to talk about more because I actually want to write about this game because it does some very interesting things with found footage in very exciting ways. So I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> this is a game that like I, I've been wanting, I've been dying to talk to you about, Mary Beth, because I wanted to hear your reaction because it is literally a found footage video game that plays with found but footage. I also aesthetics. love Magic the Gathering. Yeah. I love Magic the Gathering and like cart and like deck building card stuff. And so does Steve. And I just realized that they don't they don't have it on Mac, but he has he has a PC, so maybe I'll get him to get it and we can play it together. It's very hard. It is definitely a roguelike. Oh, it is. Okay. So it is definitely it's it's a like so you're you're playing against the the these these pl this player or this thing, and if you if you lose, you start back at the beginning. And so okay. it's definitely it's a little frustrating in spots, um, particularly if you don't play by the game's rules where like you have okay. to it's almost like a puzzle. Like you have to approach each oh. game like a puzzle of trying to figure out how to win with the cards that you have. Oh, and so I fucking love puzzle games, though. Like uh, those are my favorite kinds of games. So there's a point in like the second act where it was finally starting to click with me. And I was like, oh, I see where the game is coming. And then the difficulty kind of tapered off for me. But that first act and the first half of the second act is like really tough to the point that like the only reason I continued is that I was so intrigued and invested in what was happening with the meta story. This game is fucking fantastic. Mary Beth. Oh my God. Oh. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to play this immediately and see if Steve will just get it on his computer. It, it Oh my gosh. Okay. It does some wow. things with like, your computer that just it's okay but i love games that do that oh i love when games fuck with your computer and make you do things and you're oh my god like at one point I, i'm sorry i just have to spoil this one moment it's very small you have, but just tell me at one tell point me right now. uh your steam friend list become the cards that you're fighting against all of a sudden your friends are on the opposite side of the team and it's their icons from steam from your steam friend list that are fighting you like this game does such batshit crazy things that I just I love it so uh, much and it's it's published by Devolver Digital who I make mm -hmm. a lot of really cool indie games they released that game earlier this year that I talked about that has been my favorite experience the um, Death Store the one where you're a crow grim reaper like they, yeah. they published oh, that yes. game Oh my god wow they're fucking killing it they just make so many fantastically odd independent or produce I should say and publish such fantastically odd and 
great indie games. And this one, boy, I just I'm I really I just I can't wait to write about this one because I just I I was I'm blown away by it. Yep. Uh, I'm going to have to play this immediately. Wow. Holy shit. Cool. Yeah. Uh, sticking kind of with that found footage aspect, um, what is this Thai found footage film? Oh my god, The Medium. I finally watched The Medium. The Thai found footage movie on Shudder from the director of the film Shudder. Bajong Pisanathanakun. I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that, but so he directed this along, and it was produced by the, the director of The Wailing, uh, the, the Korean oh. um, re- the Korean um, horror movie from a couple of years ago. But so the medium takes place in Thailand. It's uh, like a religious possession movie, but not involved with Catholicism, mm. but more like shamanistic practices in Thailand. And so it starts off as a documentary about a woman who is a vessel. Uh, she's a shaman, a vessel for a, a goddess. And it's kind of about how she inherited this kind of the, the inheritance of that role and how it kind of is passed down through her family and how she became the shaman when her sister didn't want to become the shaman. Mm. And there's some interesting family dynamic stuff there. But then she realizes that there might be something happening with the passing down of the responsibilities to her niece. But then they discover that it is not the passing down of the of the of the responsibilities of the shaman but something much more sinister Mm. and so it is it is an incredibly beautiful film because it's films like it's a documentary and they set it up like it's a it's a pseudo documentary situation so like that's why all of the footage is very is very beautiful it's not super shaky cam and they have these interesting interstitials throughout the film to kind of like explain why certain things were happening as kind of like someone had edited all this footage after Mm -hmm. the fact and it's like it's 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 pretty long. It's over two hours long, yeah. and I was a little bit. Um, it's a little bit intimidating. It is a little bit of a slow burn, but again, be, I, this is something I find with a lot of like East Asian, Southeast Asian horror movies is that they're longer, but that 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 time is spent so well, and really helps build this really incredible tension and like absolute fear, because in this movie. There's a lot of, like, there's so much going on, and it is, I think it is so incredible at building this, like, mystery and can, like, what the fuck is going on to this absolutely bananas third act that is gory and nihilistic and just absolutely ridiculous, and I love it. It's such a great payoff, and... It has another one, like in The Wailing, that has, you know, the huge set, like the kind of huge exorcism set piece. This has a similar set piece like that. And I love it because it's not Catholicism. It's Mm. another religious horror possession movie that has to do with another religion. And I love that because you get to see these kind of the setting up of these rituals and the steps, these steps that they take and all of like the really kind of meticulous preparation for all of these rituals not just for the exorcism but for like all of these other things that happen throughout the movie and i love that because again we see it all the time in western like possession movies and in this one it just takes its time to really let you kind of like take in the ritualistic practices of what is happening and understand not just the religious meaning but also like the familial connections to Mm. what's going on and it's just i think it's incredibly well done it's beautiful it's well acted um one of the main characters is nim and she is the she is the shaman the medium played by sawani utuma and she is fucking incredible like she is 
everything I want in a, in a, in a possession movie from like the the kind of like grizzled priest. She okay. subverts the expectation of like that like religious figure and it makes something so unique and so fucking cool to watch mm. in terms of her being like a woman in a really this like religious leader role, but also like just playing with those expectations of what that character in a religious horror movie is supposed to be. And I just really loved that. So I highly recommend this movie. I think it's beautifully done. It's really fucking creepy. It's from Thailand. We don't talk a lot about Thai horror and we need to talk more about Thai horror. It's on Shutter. Don't let the runtime scare you. Yes. I'm glad you talked about this. I was hoping you would because um, I, I was talking with, with Joe Lipset uh, last night and he was like saying that how he had, you know, had suggested this movie to you at one point and he was talking about, he's like, yeah, it's, it's two hours long. He's like, but it has a bananas third act. And he's, he said it was really good as so I was like, Ooh, I hope that she talks about it. <laughs> yeah. I was, since I had the on like when he staycation last week, I was like, no, I'm going to fucking watch this like in the middle of the day. And I was transfixed. Mm. It's just, so good. I don't know. I think it's incredible. I think that this is a really great example of how to do pseudo documentary found footage in a really effective way. And yeah, and again, you can have a two hour long movie and have it be important. I can be able to use all every single one of those minutes effectively in creating something that's just like, what the fuck? Like the entire movie is building up to like, what in the hell is going on? And then everything is just like a fucking nightmare. Oh, it's so good. Oh, anyway. I, again, another thing I haven't stopped thinking about, and how like it's just a really incredible movie. Hell yeah! Yeah. Speaking of incredible movies, <laughs> we have continued our erotic thriller adventure. We sure did. With Jane Campion's 2003 film, In the Cut. Another long movie. Another long movie, Terry. What did you think of In the Cut? Oh boy. Um... <laughs> Sorry. Oh boy! You know, um, okay. <laughs> I I really like this movie, but I do have it's it's very idiosyncratic, shall okay. we say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of it, I find I found very perplexing. Some of the stylistic choices. Mm-hmm. It looked as if the camera was smothered with Vaseline at a lot of points. It definitely had like yes. a smudgy kind of quality to it i don't know if it was trying Mm -hmm. to like go for leaning into that sort of like a soft core you know kind of this kind of thing you would see really bad copy late at night like i didn't know if that's what they were trying to what what she was trying to go for with it but Mm -hmm. it was weird to see that because it just everything looked so smudgy (laughs) yeah it had like a grime a grimy weird it felt like I was trying to like, do like the New York cop vibe, like you were saying, like very like dingy New York, like, but then also soft. I don't know how to, if that makes sense, but like the lighting in some spots, like it was used that way, but it did have that like that kind of soft core porny feel a little bit too. But also to me, I, because I am obsessed with this fucking movie now, like the haze of desire is what is my stupid academic thought <laughs> with the smudgiest lens. Okay. I'm here for that. I don't know. That's just me, like, projecting a lot of things onto this movie that I really loved about it. Um, I... Because... Yeah. My other... Okay, so my other big problem about this about this movie is that... Uh-huh. I did not like the male character at all. And okay. I was sitting here wondering, like, why... What does she see in him outside of he's a he's apparently a very good at cunnilingus. 
I was like sitting there like, I don't understand. He's his his coffin is homophobic. He says some pretty racist things. It's just like I didn't I'm like, I don't I don't like this character at all. Does Mark Ruffalo eat ass in this movie or was he only going like was he I, I thought he was eating like going down on her and tossing her salad. And I was very excited. You know, I quite possibly. I wasn't I sure for eating ass representation and <laughs> give us more of that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, that was my, my biggest issue was just the, like, I did not understand outside of the good dicking that she gets from him and the good kind of that she gets from him. I didn't understand. <sighs> sexy. Which was incredibly sexy. This movie is very, it definitely is incredibly erotic. Uh, Filmed in a way that, like, is so sensual. Like, I I wondered, I was sitting there thinking as I was watching this movie, like, what would this be like if a man directed this film? Because every single choice that is made in here seems to counteract the choices of what a straight male director would do. Yes, and that's why, oh, that's why I love this movie so much. Because this is basically Jane Campion who directed The Piano. Mm -hmm. This is basically her response to a rather misogynistic subgenre. Like, you know, erotic thrillers are amazing. But, you know, as we talked about with Wild Things, like, it's pretty male gazy. And, like, while Wild Things was kind of poking fun at that, like, this movie is an incredible response to, like, a a more serious response to a decade of this. Because it's directed by, like, one of the few erotic thrillers directed by a woman. And what I really loved about this movie is how accurately it captures the fear of being a woman on a daily basis in an urban environment. Like, every single interaction she has with a man is tinged with some kind of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it, I have never seen that captured so well on camera. And how every interaction with a man, no matter how innocuous, feels like it's dangerous. Like you're ready for something really bad to happen to her because that's the anxiety you feel. Like I have felt as a woman in, in, in interacting with a man on the street or seeing men on the street. And I, so I'm like, you know, I really appreciated that kind of like taking the desire and meshing it with that fear and anxiety in such a, in such a fascinating way because it captures that kind of like, woman being terrified of meeting a man being in a relationship but also being very turned on by him and being kind of torn between like what is safe and what's not because this whole movie really is about her pushing her like her comfort level and her boundaries about like what is going on around her and i was just so sucked into that because there are so many red herrings in this movie of like interactions with men where you're like she's gonna get fucking killed by that guy or this guy's the killer and like again it plays with that red herring of the erotic thriller but in a way that sells this danger aspect like okay kevin bacon double feature for erotic thrillers i know hello (laughs) hello kevin bacon i mean in this one kevin bacon plays like quite a terrifying character who kind of stalks Meg Ryan's character Mm -hmm. and he's like I'm having a mental breakdown and like he's following her and waiting for her outside of places and like you're ready for something bad to happen Mm -hmm. with him but again he is a red herring but it's still such an incredible character to have in there because it just captures like what women go through like you have one really like you sleep with the guy once and he becomes incredibly attached to you and follows you around everywhere and like asks you to like have keep his dog and it's just like I don't know. Some this this movie really just captures that anxiety in such an incredible way, but also captures. And I read, I was reading some stuff about this because Jordan Serlis is an incredible writer mm. and c- culture critic who loves this movie. Oh, she loves this, yeah. 
and I'm so glad I finally watched it because like her 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 love of this movie got me really excited to watch it. And I think she, I think she and someone else I can't remember who have talked about like the true crime aspects of this as well, and this like interesting kind of connection to true crime, and how us as women loving true crime but also being terrified of it. Mm. And there's just such like, a cool relationship there. And yeah, Mark Ruffalo's character is just an asshole, but he also embodies that kind of character where you're like he's kind of sexy but kind of shitty so like maybe it's a little dangerous so maybe I'll go with it but also he like is really good at dirty talk and it's like really hot yeah it was <laughs> like, really hot and I also loved Mark Ruffalo in this movie because he's not like he's cute but he's not like he's not like hot you know oh, what I like he's not like he was hot for me okay okay I'm sorry <laughs> but like you know he's hot but he, do you know what I mean? I like do, he's yeah. not no, necessarily like the first person you think of when you think of like a hot male erotic thriller lead. And I'm so no. glad he is. And this he's like he's a little bit he's a little bit more like an everyman. I'm not saying he is, but like a little bit more like an everyman character. He's still really hot in this movie, especially when he's naked and mm. you see his penis. Mm. But like there's something about that that I liked too, that like he, he's a little more like of a of a person rather than like a Matt Dillon, like sexy person. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. Absolutely. Yeah. It feels a little bit more real, if that makes sense. Like in terms of like the attractive level of all mm. of the people in this scenario. <laughs> yeah. And Okay, so I'm I'm glad to hear you talk about the angle that you're that you came from it here because like some of the my my notes that I took here were like on retrospect I think is probably fitting into that sort of dynamic that Jing is probably exploring here because I I was really confused about the way that he picks her up where he like arrests her kind of almost sort of puts her in the back of the car and is driving you know with with her and then he starts throwing pictures of a severed head in her lap. <laughs> And we go from Nothing that scene. Nothing is sexier than that. Well, we go from that scene to him being, hey, want to grab drinks later? Like, here's a severed head. Want to go get a drink and maybe fuck? Like, that That's that was the, the way that, that that scene played out. And I'm like, this is odd choices. But I do think that it, it kind of plays with that idea of dread and horror and sex at the same time. Of this just embodied in a, a single kind of line of, of, of discussion. Yeah. Also, when Pauline died, it was really sad. Ugh. Tragic. Fucking tragic. Well, I also, at one point, was like, oh, is it going to be Meg Ryan's character? Yeah, I had that thought as, as well. As the killer. Because that would have been really interesting. But what I also love about this movie is that, like, when you find out who the killer is, like, it's not as big of a climax. No. Like, it's a little bit, but it's so fucking cool how it's downplayed. Like, the reveal isn't the climax. It's, like, when she fucks Mark Ruffalo and he says he says the title of the movie in the cut. <laughs> and it's about vaginas. <laughs> oh, it's... So, sorry. Just, like... I think this movie, this movie has like a shitty score on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh. I know it's like a terrible way to base things off of, but like, I, I mean, I, it's ahead of it. It was ahead of its time. I think. I think this was like 2003, post 9/11. A lot of weird American flag imagery in this movie that I'm still trying to parse out what that means. Did you catch that? Like the mm-hmm. weird shots of American flags. I was like, is this because we're like pretty, like pretty fresh off of the terrorist attacks from 9/11? Like, what is, what is the reading between the lines here and i could go on about that for a while but it is so ahead of its time and it's thinking that i'm not surprised but it just it is such an incredible film well and i was also thinking it's about so fucking hot oh it's so Jesus. hot but it Fuck. in in response to the the kind of terrible rotten tomato score and a rare f cinema score from audience members leaving the theater i think 
when you look at when I look because I pulled up Letterbox and you know it's a lot of people I follow on Twitter now and the yeah rating of this movie is a lot higher than the terrible writ let uh, let uh, blah, yeah terrible Rotten Tomato score would have you believe and these people that I'm following are all critics that are writing today. And it's the other thing is, is that it's a lot more of a diverse critic group than probably reviewed this film in 2003 for Rotten Tomatoes. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's the same thing that we saw with like Jennifer's body where, you know, the diversity that we have now is a lot more than it was at that time. And I think that this is probably the same situation, particularly with the F cinema score, where you had people going in thinking, I'm going to see a lot of Meg Ryan and I'm going to see her get fucked. And then it's not what they were expecting. I'm going to see her titties. Yeah. Like, you do see her titties, but this is not shot for the male gaze, which I fucking love. This is a hot, sexy movie that's not about just eroticizing the female body. It's about eroticism in general and touch and Mm -hmm. dirty talk. Oh, my God. Dirty talk. Like, okay, I love dirty talk. Let's just be, like, TMI all up in here. Me too. And the way that they talk about, like, he has, like, dirty talk with her on the phone Mm -hmm. and just, like, talks about Mm blowjobs. Like, it's just... It's sexy and erotic without it having to be like explicitly softcore porn. Like, yes, there's a very good sex scene, but there isn't actually like a ton of like sex in this movie. It's all just like talked about and alluded to, which is, but that's even sexier to me. But it makes the actual sex scenes like even hotter. Mm -hmm. But I think, like you said, people probably were like, oh, we're just going to see a lot of fucking, but it's, a lot more than that it's about like sex as more than just penetration well and you know one of my favorite activities is to go to the sex and nudity section of imdb and see what people had to say about about this yes and yes i have said this before when we talked about one of the wrong term movies about how like i feel like this was written by some sex star 13 year old straight boy a lot of times the sex nudity section and here for this one it's really funny the very first one is no graphic female nudity just some breast only graphic male nudity. Another one. Extreme male nudity. You love, to, you love to fucking hear it, though. Extreme male Music nudity. Music to mine ears. At, pornograph- at pornography level with very little mild female nudity is another line on here. Okay, and extreme nudity is strong. You see his penis for, like, a couple seconds. Yeah. Like, it's not that. Like, he, and he literally, he sits down on the bed, and he's naked, and you just see, like... The head. His penis. The head. <laughs> Sorry. Why am I a child? Um... <laughs> You see the way that this is written about here with the sex nudity, and I feel like that's probably the same audience that went here that were like, I didn't go here to see Mark Ruffalo's dong. Like, I feel like that's probably the response that a lot of the presumably straight male audience that went to go see this in early 2003, hoping to see um, a dirty Meg Ryan, who, you know, at this point, I believe in her career, she was doing um, like the you got mail the sort of like rom-com sweet type stuff yeah and so there's that aspect and she's also not like she's like a frumpy's not the right word but she's an english teacher she's not wearing makeup and, she has, and that means she's that not she's wearing not makeup she's attractive like, yeah and she's got glasses and she's got bangs it's basically <laughs> like she's all that like yeah like they're trying to make her look frumpy which is not she does not look frumpy but she also isn't like made to be super sexy either like she dresses up a little bit but like she's again it's kind of like that every woman situation where she's just like another person on the street who like 
wears clothes, regular clothes, and then, like, her sister Pauline is a little bit more eroticized, like, Mm -hmm. wears the red dresses and the makeup and is, like, more promiscuous. Um, But, yeah, this isn't, like, supposed to be, like, sexy Meg Ryan, but it is, it's sexy Meg Ryan in a way that, like you said, people weren't expecting, probably. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It is really good. I I, I really liked it. It's not at all what I was expecting. Me neither. And it's a li- I, I, I think it is a little long. It is. It's long. It's very art house. There's a lot of, like, scenes of her on a subway, like, reading quotes to herself. And, like, moments that people probably be like, what the hell? But here I am. But, yeah. So what erotic thriller are we watching next, Terry? Oh, I'm so excited. We're going to queer things up a little bit. And we're going to watch a movie that is... A first watch for me. I'm really excited. We are watching <gasps> Bound. Oh my god. Oh, I'm so excited for you to watch Bound for the first time, and I'm so excited to rewatch Bound. Oh my god, it's so fucking good. I can't wait. I'm I'm so kind of <sighs> sad that I've never seen this, but I'm really glad that I'm revening that for this for this podcast. Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon mm. in this movie. Fucking iconic. I cannot it's- wait. So good. I am so stoked for to talk to you about it and hear what you have to say. But yeah, oh my god, Jennifer Tilly. Oof. And so who are we yeah. chatting with on Monday? <laughs> oh my god. Okay, this is so exciting. So we're talking to the other half of the pod and the pendulum. We talked to Mike Snoonian this week. Now on Monday, we're talking with writer and podcaster Lindsay Travis. And we convinced her <laughs> to revisit a film that truly traumatized her as a kid. Get ready for it, everybody. We're talking the legendary Amityville <laughs> 1992. It's about time. Have you ever heard of it? Probably not. But... <laughs> It's a really fucking good conversation, and she had not revisited it since she was a kid because she was so scared. And so we were so honored that she was willing and able to revisit the movie and talk about it. The movie's on Shudder if you Mm -hmm. want to watch it ahead of time. It's quite surprising for a sixth entry in a franchise. Sixth, correct? Yep, sixth entry. It's weird. It's silly. It's kind of fucked up. So yeah, I'm. It's a. It'll be a really fun conversation. And Terry shares some of his very specific <laughs> fears as well. So it'll be very, very good. Uh, very, I, I very made good. her cry at one point. I made Lindsay cry at one point from laughing. From laughing. So that, so. I, you know, that's like a little notch in my hat. I have to say. <laughs> so listeners, you've heard from us. So we want to hear from you. Did you watch a film, play a video game, or read one of the books that we talked about this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for books we should be reading, movies we should talk about? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Treadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Podcast. And please, please give us a rating and review and make sure that you are subscribed. Please and thank you. It helps the algorithms. Thank you. It's... Oh, those goddamn fucking algorithms. algorithms. Yeah, fucking algorithms. Um, thank you, Eric Power, for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.